you never know where the world's going to go. So my suggestion to people is just do stuff. Yeah. Just do something, you know yeah. what I mean? Just do it, like try it. Like people get paralyzed and think, oh, it's, I don't know if I want to do that, so I won't do it. Just do it for a couple of years and see what mm. happens. And then, you know, that could lead into that, could be leading to that. You just got to go with the flow because, you know, at the end of the day, you've got a, a long time in, in your working life. Yeah. Baby steps too. You can't just add everything at once or else you're just going to get necked out and not do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and like another thing I always do as well, which I make my bed every morning. Everything could be going wrong in your life yeah. and there's not much you can control. <laughs> but one thing you can control is you can always make your bed. And it's yeah. you know, nice to come back and home with a big day of work and you know, your bed's ready to just jump in. It looks nice. No matter what situation, if it's good or it's bad, it's going to pass. Yeah. That's a good way to look at things and it keeps you grounded because, you know, you can get it like, like it's happened to me. You get ahead of yourself, you then start to make mistakes, you over leverage, and then you make some dumb, dumb mistakes. Hi everyone, my name is Dustin Elliott and welcome to the Y2 Podcast, where I interview interesting and noteworthy people to learn about their journeys and specifically look to understand their beliefs, values, mindset, and the resources they use to get started and succeed on their journey. Before I introduce you to today's guest, I want to take a very quick minute and thank the Y2 podcast sponsor, YZ. YZ is an easy-to-use online training software that makes it so simple to create and deliver online training. I actually love this product so much, I reached out to these guys and wanted to work with them as I see the power of the system for clients. The online training software is very flexible and you can use it to automate a whole range of tasks in your business. Uh, For example, you can manage all of your employee training, train customers and partners in your products, track licenses and qualifications of your staff, create and sell online courses, capture more leads with free online courses and so much more. Make sure you jump over to their website, yz.com, that's w-y-z-e-d.com, to check out some videos and even get your own free 14-day trial, and please do let them know I sent you it when you head on over. But back to today's show, and my guest today is Mark Mitto. Now, Mark is currently Chief Marketing Officer and co-owner of Linkfluencer. Recognized by Forbes as Australia's leading LinkedIn training company, their mission is to transform social selling on LinkedIn and build the next generation of influencers. Mark himself has been prominently featured by some of the largest publications in the world, including the Sydney Morning Herald, Cosmopolitan, Bloomberg, and was recently recognized by the Huffington Post as one of Australia's leading online entrepreneurs. He's an international best-selling author of 5-Minute Business, which skyrocketed to number one in the world on Amazon within the first three days of its release and had over 42,000 downloads on Kindle within that period. Truly, Mark is a serial entrepreneur through and through. From his early days of creating online businesses to starting a bar at the young age of 19 with no experience, he has since then gone on to start consulting businesses, an innovative entertainment business, and now helping to run Linkfluencer. In that though, it hasn't always been smooth sailing as we talk about and how he got ahead of himself and managed to get into a quarter of a million dollars of debt after a bit of early success led to some bad decisions and at the same time, managing to get a few other bumps and bruises as he's found his way to what he does now. I think the one thing I really value from this conversation is hearing about how Mark is the kind of guy who hasn't been afraid to take action with the ideas he's had and opportunities he's been presented with. 
As we hear about, they don't always work out as expected, but the skills and learnings have helped Mark leverage into that next big opportunity. It might seem like an overnight success, but it's a terrific story of all the blood, sweat, tears, and hard work he's put in, and how you can achieve the same thing if you're willing to put the work in as well. But with that being said, let's get to today's chat. Mark, welcome to the Y2 Podcast. Thanks for having me, Dustin. Hi, I'm uh, always excited to sit down, but I have to admit right off the bat, um, I wish we were doing video today because <laughs> the the view that we find ourselves looking at today is absolutely incredible. I'd love if you could just give a quick bit of a visual representation, tell the yeah. listeners, what are we looking at today? Well, we're just at my apartment block and we are looking at the beautiful city of Melbourne on a 29 degree day. Um, it's probably about 25 now because it's still a little bit early, but... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're looking at the city, we're looking at the... At, we've got this... Because it's in Paran, so you haven't got high-rise buildings around. So we're looking at, you know, the beach, we can see the city, um, and it's just an incredible day. It's a little bit of wind, so hopefully that doesn't affect too much today, but... Where else would you rather be than doing a podcast looking at this beautiful city? <laughs> Man, I'm, uh, I'm excited to be out here, even yeah. just to get some well-needed vitamin D as yeah. well, too. And apologies to all my uh, North American listeners as well, too, who are finding that I heard it snowed in uh, places in Canada oh. yesterday, too, where a fair bit of my listeners are. <laughs> so I apologize for them having to listen to this. And uh, obviously, I'll put up a picture a little bit later. Yeah. to uh, They can see what we're looking at. But I'm, uh, um, again, uh, absolutely excited to sit down with you. And um, as I know we were speaking about earlier... Mm. Before I sit down with any of my guests, I always want to go through and figure out, you know, who are they? What have they done? What's part of their story? And I know one thing that jumped out as a part of your story right away is you have an absolute incredible presence online. You've done, you've been interviewed by the Huffington Post. Um, you know, you've seen a few videos of you doing talks overseas. Um, you know, as, as a young man who's not only a couple years older than me, incredibly articulate, mm-hmm. An absolute amazing amount of wisdom, but like I said, you're still not much older than me. You still have a, you still have the rest of your career ahead of you too. Yeah. So, um, you know, success leaves clues, and I'm I'm absolutely excited to get into that today. No, I appreciate you wanting to have me on the, as a guest, and I'm excited to be able to share some some of my stories, and <laughs> some of the failures, and some of the successes, and hopefully, you know, the re- the listeners get a lot of value out of it. Absolutely, some, sto- some stories it will be, but. <laughs> With that being said, um, you have come off a, uh, a bit of an interesting journey as of late, haven't you? It's been a rather hectic couple of weeks for yourself. I'd love if you could just start off by telling a little bit about the, uh, some, of the, uh, some of the things that have happened to you over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so um, we had to actually reschedule this podcast to this date because a couple of weeks ago when we had it uh, scheduled in, I had to urgently go to LA and, and Santa Monica for a speaking engagement. And what happened was my business partner um, was supposed to go there. Um, business partner in uh, Linkfluencer and unfortunately he couldn't make it to the, to the speaking engagement. I was in Cairns at the time when I got the news that he couldn't make it and we rang the, um, uh, the event organiser who we were doing the speaking engagement for. It was basically a, a, a conference that was a sales conference for a, a big company that do cyber security and um, yeah he couldn't make it so we said to him you know I'll go and do it they were fine with that because obviously um, I do a lot of the workshops anyway for uh, LinkedIn and um, training around that. So uh, I went and took his place and, and agreed to do it. But then I realised that my passport had expired. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd agreed to do it. I'd said, yeah, I'm going to do it. Realised my passport expired. I was leaving in literally six days. And I was in Cairns and I was supposed to be in Cairns for six days. And I'm from Melbourne. So, you know, for those that don't know, the 
Australian geography. Mm-hmm. Cairns is you know, a couple hour flight away. I'm supposed to be there for six days soaking up the sun because it's nice weather Beautiful up there. Weather. Melbourne's terrible weather. <laughs> and then, so what happened was I went, I had to leave Cairns early and cancel the, the, the trip. And then I went from uh, Cairns, flew back and ended up going back to Melbourne to get an emergency passport. So what happened was I, yeah, so I ended up uh, going and getting the emergency passport back in Melbourne. Um, got it within a couple of days, which was great. Yeah, um, incredible, actually. Right, yeah. <laughs> right before the time I was supposed to leave, which you know worked out quite well. Um, and then on my way to the airport, I actually was in a car crash. So I was <laughs> going there in an Uber. Um, we were, you know, driving our way on, uh, the, you know, to the airport, and basically we had a four-car pileup. It was like four in the morning, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like four in the morning. I'm flying. You know, I've got the flight. Everything was sorted. I think, I think it was all going to be good. In this four-car four car pile-up. Uh, luckily, I'd put my bag, um, which had you know the Mac, which had the presentation on it, which I was going to show everyone through things. Um, I put it in the back seat when I usually put it in the boot. So anyway, what happened was the whole car was t- totaled around the back and my bag went you know between the sort of passenger seat and the, the seat at the back. Mm. And so it was fine. But if it was in the boot, it would have been completely totaled. And I ended up smashing my head on the dash, had a bit of blood coming out of the face, a bit of a, bit of a sore head. Um, but, you know, quickly had to jump in another Uber, got to the airport, you know, right before the flight, flew over there, literally 12 hours before the speaking engagement, ended up smashing it out, jet lagged, um, and then flew back to Australia after the speaking engagement. Luckily, uh, the company we worked with, you know, were super appreciative of all we did to get over there because, you know, obviously I had to leave Cairns yeah. early. Well, it's 14 hour, 14, 16 hour flight yeah, as yeah. well too. So it's not like we're just talking a small yeah, jaunt it's, here. It's, it's a big, yeah. big journey. Um, and yeah, they were just super appreciative. They knew that I was in that car crash as well because obviously I had a, a dint on my head. <laughs> <laughs> so they loved the story and they, you know, said to us, you know, we appreciate everything you've been able to do for us. It was a great presentation. Um, the company got a heap of value out of it. And you know, I came back. Um, on the Sunday morning at 6am and then straight back to work again on Monday and got that email from the company and yeah, you know, I think that sort of says sometimes you just got to stick by your word and even though there's a bit of adversity there, you got to yeah. just push through and, you did, did you ever have any moment where you thought between the passport and the car crash mm. and, and the fact that you were going on this crazy long flight, did you yeah. ever think, you know what, look, I just it's not going to work out. Let's just cancel it and we'll just send our apologies. Did that ever cross your head? That's your mind? it's funny because that's what the event organizer said to us. They go, oh, you know, most people would have just canned it, but yeah. I think you just got to stick by your word. And I know I've ran events for for ages, and I knew that how much that would have put them out. That they've got this conference, they're promoting us coming yeah. over there. You know, it, it were a big part of what they were doing. To bail out at the last minute was going to obviously put them out big time, and so I said, "No, nah, we've got to, we've got to do this. Yeah. I don't know how we're going to make it happen. <laughs> you just managed to make it happen. <laughs> but yeah, we got over there. Luckily, everything worked out, and um, you know, it's a it's a good story. I think very good story, mate. Like, uh, it's good to see. Obviously, you're uh, you, you didn't sustain any more damage out of that emotionally yeah. and or physically through that whole experience. But uh, exactly, and, uh, we didn't have to reschedule. So excited, we finally got the chance. But um, if, you know, from there, um, as always, we want to go back to sort of the beginning of your on entrepreneurial journey um, just sort of before we obviously leading into what you're what you're most well known for today and um, for you that we were discussing before really that started at you know 18 years old kind of thing Um, you were uh, uh, said self-taught through computers and whatnot I love these sort of just take us through sort of those early days of uh, you know the entrepreneurial journey the early days so yeah like you said you know I was sort of very technically minded from an early age I remember my mum got a computer at like 
you know, very young age for us because she was, she was a university lecturer. Um, so she got the computer, got the internet. And what, I just, what did she lecture on? What was her... Uh, she's in industrial relations and, gotcha. like, and health space and, yeah, and HR and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, she's been very successful in her career, which is great. And, you know, we were fortunate enough to get the internet at an early age and I got obsessed with it and just started hacking away, hacking away at computers, got it, you know, really obsessed in that technical space. It sort of taught myself to code. And How did you teach yourself to code? Were they, like, what, I mean, we're talking uh, it's early 2000s. Yeah. Essentially. I mean, how does one even learn to code at that point? There was websites and stuff around gotcha. at that stage. Like, it, when I really started getting into it, Google was just sort of taking off and you could Google things. And I remember just finding websites where they'd teach you basics and mm. I'd read, I'd look at what it looks like as well on the back end. I'm always like, I want to see how things work. Mm. Um, so I, I, I'm not a full coder I just I can look at it and make edits and know how to put things together so I wouldn't say I'm like a you know like a full on developer or anything like that I just need to know and understand how things work so um, then I sort of got into uh, like when I was around 18 you know been obviously searching around the internet and things like that and I got got obsessed with trying to start my own sort of online business because you know I was reading about people making money online and Mm -hmm. I guess I got a little bit excited about you know the opportunities to be making money online so Started making little online businesses when you know I was about that age. Just Do you remember what those online on businesses were like? What, uh, what were you selling or what were you trying to put like together? Ridiculous stuff. Like I remember, I just knew that green, uh, you know, like solar equipment and stuff was going to take off. So mm-hmm. I'd like basically found sites that you know you could affiliate with and you'd sell their products for them. Mm-hmm. And I created like a you know a solar power site where people could buy solar power stuff, but. The problem was no one visited them because I didn't know how to get traffic to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you I built just, it, but all of a sudden yeah. trying to figure out the other end of the equation. Exactly, and they just look crap. These websites, too, as I built them myself, put a, basically put a product and a buy button on there, and didn't even explain what the product is, and realised why is anyone yeah. buying anything from the site? And I would imagine too, this is probably before yeah. um, like Wix and yeah, all yeah. this. We're not talking like you were just you know this for was fifteen dollar like template front page, yeah. like trying to figure out how to set up a cert, all this crazy stuff, and yeah, they were just nightmare websites. They looked terrible, and. Uh, yeah, some of them were like I was creating ringtones because I was doing a bit of DJing and mixing and things like that. I was trying to create ringtones and sell them online. They were just dumb stuff. We, <laughs> <laughs> but it was great for your development. You yeah. know? And I just enjoyed the process of actually creating them. Absolutely. Was, what did you, I mean, as you're trying to go through and try to figure mm-hmm. that out, I mean, what did you, what was sort of driving you to keep, keep chasing this? Was it just said those, that you saw the idea you're going to make, you know, all mm-hmm. this heap of money, get the right website, and all of a sudden that's it? You yeah. Make like, your millions? <laughs> yeah, I think an idea just pops into my head. Yeah. And I just can't, I've got to do it. Like, even if it's not going to be successful, and I go, yeah, I've got to do that, and I get excited <laughs> by it, and I just build it, and then nothing happens. I'm like, oh, and this was back then, you know, obviously yeah. a different attitude, and I'll be like, oh, okay, what's next? Yeah, on to the next. <laughs> on to the next little shiny object. Yeah. Which is, yeah. And interesting enough, too, as you sort of mentioned there as well, too, your story, you also come from a DJing background yeah. as well, too. So was, how did you get into that, even just out of curiosity? How does uh, one get into DJing? Yeah, so, like, I was obviously big on music, so I used to play guitar when I was younger. My, my dad taught me how to play guitar. He's very musically uh, gifted, uh, so I was always into music. And then my best friend, Corey Top, who I run Reminisce with these days, uh, he wanted to become a DJ, and he said, <laughs> let's you know, let's buy some decks and we'll, you know, do you want to become a DJ and we'll, we'll start a DJ yeah. And I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> that sounds like sounds fun. fun. Yeah. yeah used, 18, 17, yeah, 18. Yeah, I was liking the music at that stage. House was really starting to get popular around then. Mm. So I was really into it and I'm like, yeah, this would be awesome. So me and him bought some, you know, the, the CDJs and the mixer and we just started DJing at parties and get paid to do it. Um, and then we eventually obviously got, started getting club gigs because uh, luckily enough, you know, I knew a few of the security guards um, in Frankston because I'm originally from Frankston so 
and there was a you know a few nightclubs there and it was like the 21st century dance club which a lot of people from Melbourne would know is a pretty seedy nightclub in Frankston <laughs> um, and then there's like you know there was like a kitten strip strip joint and then there was a Flanagan's bar and all these sorts of places and uh, you know they the, the security guards used to cycle between them all because I think it was the same security company and um, they knew a lot of the managers at the kitten strip strip joint so they, they needed the DJ and they were asking some of the security guys and one of the security guys oh you got to speak to Mark so me and Corey then started DJing at Kittens. Because <laughs> 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 we just wanted to play, you know, we just wanted to practice, we wanted to get out there, get in front of people. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we'd been doing parties on weekends and we'd been doing this and that, uh, just making a bit of extra cash. And then, yeah, we started getting this, our first club gig. We got paid nothing for it. It was mm. like, back then, this is ages ago, we were getting paid like 150 a night or something between us, doing like a ages like eight hours of DJing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, we, <laughs> but we got really really good and the music was great in there and people were starting to come there because I'm like the music's really good there a lot of our friends were coming there as well and you know we got pretty close and you know had a good relationship with the management there too and they said hey we've got a bar upstairs let's turn it into a nightclub because obviously you're bringing a crowd in you guys promote it take the, take the door we'll take the bar so we launched our own nightclub above this and it's like I'm like just turned 19 at this stage. I, I gotta ask, I mean, yeah. obviously you've been DJing for a little mm. bit and yeah. starting to, you know, get a little bit of skill around that, but yeah. did the thought of going from a bit of DJing to mm. starting a nightclub, I mean... It was a big... <laughs> I mean, was it, was it ever like, was it ever kind of, did you go like, can we do this? Or like, what was your thinking? Can oh, we just saw it as opportunity. I think at that age too, you're like, oh, you know, we're going to be the coolest kids in town. It's more of an ego thing. Yeah. Like, oh, everyone's going to think we're the coolest. So we just did it and, you know, just said, let's just make it happen. And, you know, we didn't have any budget or anything like that. We just, basically we used, um, do you remember, I don't know if you remember Merck. Do you ever heard of Merck? M-I-R-C? No. It's like a internet relay chat it stands for. And it was like this, old way to communicate and it's kind of it looks I don't know if you use Slack either, but it's like a mm-hmm. communications channel where a lot of people in uh, where we were from used to use it and I reckon if, if you're you know, listening to this now check out what Merck is and it still gets used to this day and it's M-I-R-K M-I-R-C. just into, the Goog- into Google yeah M-I-R-C sorry and it gets used as like black market stuff now uh, so yeah. people use it because it's, it's untraceable yeah um, so people use it to like swap credit cards and sell naughty stuff um, but back then it was like used as you know communications channel like pre-social media mm-hmm. and so we started promoting the nightclub through that because a lot of people who lived in Frankston went on that in a channel called Frankston. Mm-hmm. And so we started promoting it through that, just finding people that we knew um, were cool, like who had a big database of big friends network. We then just start chatting to them on the platform and say, hey, you know, I saw you at this party the other week, you know, um, I think we've met before. You know, and then say, hey, we're running this nightclub. Here's, you know, a few free, free lists, bring your friends down. And we ended up packing this place out for weeks, right? So are you guys literally just profiling people out in terms of like, I think I know him. Yeah. Hey, I think he's got a big group. Yeah. Let me go on to this we'll chat hustle. thing and, yeah. and, and target them. <laughs> <laughs> I we'll see just, a bit of foreshadowing in there. Yeah, I think yeah. we'll get to as more recently. But yeah. Uh, yeah. We were just full on hustling to get this thing open. We had like two posters that we, because we couldn't afford to get much done, like much printed. And we got one of our mates to basically design up this poster. It was called, the place was called Red Room. Um, this nightclub was seedy as we had to build it ourselves basically yeah. we got up there and there was stripper poles in there um, no no DJing <laughs> yeah. booth or anything like that so we 
basically me and Corey and got a few of our friends to really help build the place out and make it look half decent. Like actually like building in furniture and yeah, building up the stage and stuff like furniture. that? Yeah, we brought in furniture, we brought in like, you know, these, uh, we just made these crappy like ornaments on the walls mm-hmm. so it looked okay. Um, the bathrooms were awful. And then we just built like a DJ booth and got some guy to spray paint on it saying Red Room. Um, and then we just started packing it out through really just hustling and we put these posters up and we put them in strategic locations mm. where people were, um, you know, gathering, like let's say the taxi rank when people were leaving. And this club called Level One had just like closed a few weeks before ours had opened and a lot of people used to go to that. So we called this place Red Room and then we labelled it like our subtitle was The Next Level. <laughs> <laughs> so people thought that it was like oh, I love it. Yes, so, so we're a bit That's a little bit of like, guerrilla marketing as much as I've ever heard of any. <laughs> so we literally had 10 posters. We put them in strategic locations, places where security guys couldn't rip them down either. Mm. We put them like high. Yeah. High enough you couldn't actually grab them down. So then they were in good spots literally a well, couple of weeks before. Well, too. I'd imagine you yeah, don't want yeah. to lose any of them. <laughs> so we put them, stuck them down really well. And then we, yeah, we just packed this place out for like weeks on end and me and Corey would be the headline DJs. And then, you know, people would then start to realise after a few weeks of, you know, us running that place that it was probably the seediest nightclub they've ever been in. <laughs> so obviously the crowd started to teeter off at, at some stage. Um, you know, we, we didn't even know what we were doing running the nightclub and this is what I mean. We just sort of put, put ourselves in head first. But, you know, there's these, um, what are they called? You know, those soda guns oh yeah yeah where you you know basically fill up people's drinks yeah we didn't know you're supposed to like put those in like hot water when you leave the uh, club <laughs> at night so it's we just the left them there because yeah. there's all syrup in there yeah so we'd come down the next week and start up the club again not knowing and then for the first probably 100 people who got drinks they got like ants in their drinks oh, <laughs> so oh, you're, no. <laughs> you're getting people in there just walking around with like their bourbon and coke with yeah. a ton of ants in their drinks <laughs> So you can imagine this place didn't last very long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it taught us a heap. And we, you know, we did it right out from the start and then obviously teetered out after a while when everyone sort of realised it was the worst nightclub they'd ever been to in their life. <laughs> so what, <laughs> that was good fun. I mean, I'm really curious as you tell yeah. that story. I mean, I just, I still find it, the whole idea of mm. being, even me being 18, 19 and starting a club, is just, yeah. I, I can't even fathom it. Yeah. But I suppose when you look back on that experience, mm. what do you think your biggest takeaway from that? What do you think your biggest learning was um, from that journey? Biggest learning? I think for me, it was, how do you say it? You just got to go out there and do stuff. So sort of know? just validating the fact that yeah. if you jump in, like as you kind of, Figure you didn't know, a certain level so of ignorance. You, or, uh, yeah, it's ignorance. good. You got to go in head first sometimes. You got to, you know, what they say, entrepreneurs jump out of a plane and then build a parachute on the way down. That's what it taught me to be thinking my feet, learn a lot of lessons about, okay, what you should and what you shouldn't do. Because one of the things that we did as well, which was dumb, we... Because the, the crowd started teetering off and like I was like literally just you know pretty young at that stage and my girlfriend was like just about to turn 18. She had a lot of 17-year-old friends. So to rent a crowd, we started letting 17-year-olds in. <laughs> oh, and then the cops found out and came yeah. down and they um, basically kicked out all of the, um, the 17-year-olds and we got in a bit of trouble. And then all of a sudden you look around and there's just five guys on the dance floor with ants in their drinks. So, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so I think I learned a lot about, you know, sometimes you've got to just go out there and do stuff and you've got to break the rules a little bit, mm. you know, but, you know, at the same time, you, you can't sort of 
across any legal barriers, which we probably did at that stage. But <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of the fun. When you, when you were doing that, did mm. it ever sort of, as you're sort of going through this early part of the process and maybe making a few of those stumbles, did it ever, mm. did, you, did you reach out to anybody who had already been running some sort of venue to try to, you know, learn from them at any point? Or were you guys just winging it, you know? We were winging it, but we, like, you know, the kittens management, they had a bit of a clue of running bars and stuff like that. And we were just sort of learning as we go. We did have a few friends that were promoters as mm. well. So we were leveraging them and we got them on board and got their experience on board. Um, they were pretty young too though, so they didn't have a heap of experience other than having a, a pretty big network. So I'd say we never really reached out to anyone. We just did stuff. Yeah. You know? But that's often the best way you learn too. So mm. Absolutely. Well, I think as well too, I, I've, I've heard and I've always tried to take with a grain of salt. Yeah. The, the past is... Or advice is the past dusted off mm. and given to you in the bits that mm. um, are shiniest or, or, or cleanest or whatever kind of thing. So, exactly. Um, so, yeah, always being really wary about people's mm. advice and whatnot and helping you forward. Yeah. Um, now, you were still coding at the time as well, too, during this process. Is that right? Well, I wouldn't say I was like a, a coder, but I was just or setting up, you setting know, up websites, websites here and there and, you know, doing what I could to try to start little things here and there. And, and yeah, so I was setting up websites, setting up businesses and things like that as I was going through that process too and, and learning and failing. Yeah, um, but there was at one point you uh, you made a bit of a shift around this as well too uh, in terms of looking at the future uh, the future longevity yeah, of that. <laughs> yeah, so what happened when I, uh, you know, we realised when me and Corey were DJing, we started like DJing at some pretty cool places around Melbourne and, um, you know, some pretty popular clubs. But then I sort of got to a point where, you know, I was getting home at like 10 a.m. on a Sunday and I realised that, you know, I've got to do something with my life proper. Hmm. Uh, so then I went to uni, you know, went and did a business degree, um, started to, you know, think oh, I need to, you know, be a real person. <laughs> <laughs> Probably my mum and dad were sort of pushing me down that path. So your folks were kind of yeah, pushing you yeah, towards saying, you need to... Yeah, you can't be DJing your whole life. Like you get yeah. home and you're tired all the time, you're drinking and this and that. Because that, that lifestyle is tough to live, you yeah. know, when you're DJing all the time. So then I... Um, basically went to uni, uh, did my degree, and I was still DJing at the time while I was doing my degree, you know, for cash flow. Um, and then I went into the corporate space and, you know, sort of uh, luckily got a job with a software company. Uh, basically, I did a HR degree. I did like a commerce degree. And my majors were HR and commercial law. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I started working at this software company that uh, they did HR software. And... Um, you know, I just started working there as sort of like a HR consultant sort of thing. And, you know, I was doing a lot of technical stuff that, like, sort of then sort of merged into this marketing role. Um, so I started working there. I was there for, like, you know, a couple of years, learn a heap about... Because that's when digital roles just started appearing, like mm. digital marketing roles. So I got thrown into, like, you know, looking after the SEO, looking after PPC, learning a ton of stuff, mm. which was awesome, right? And this, uh, this is just sort of the early sort of days of that as well. Early so days. it's sort of all of a sudden businesses and imagine are sort of realizing, mm. oh, we need to, we, we need this is important, this. but what the hell is it kind of thing? Yeah, so I was like at the right place at the right time where, you know, I was given a lot of responsibility around trying to research this stuff and, you know, implement it with the business and try to get more leads online. And like this is literally when Google was, you know, just starting to do AdWords and people were realizing the power of it. Mm. And SEO people were like, we've got to do this stuff now. So I learned a ton in that, that space and then, you know, I moved into like a digital business manager role there. And then um, I got a job at the Formula One, right? So I got a job just heading up the digital team because not many people had the experience that I had because at the time, IT were trying to take over the website and so was marketing. Uh, so it was yeah. a fight and there were some horrific looking websites out there. Yeah. Um, so I was at the right place at the right time because I had the technical knowledge and the, the marketing and business experience from, you know, obviously setting up my own staff and, you know, playing around with things. So I... Um, 
ended up getting a good role at the Formula One. I was working there for a couple of years and, um, you know, still had my entrepreneurial passion. I think when you're working in the corporate yeah. place and you're an entrepreneur, you have that, like, fire to go out on your own all the yeah. time. Like, you're always thinking about stuff. Well, I'd love to jump in there as well, too, because you talk about, obviously, you had that entrepreneurial flair. You had that, you, you'd have that idea and you yeah. want to sort of chase it. To now be back in a corporate world, which, mm. again, corporate is, is quite a broad term, but yeah. sort of generalize this idea that it's like, okay, Mark, we need to go do this, mm. go do that, and mm. then they're going to evaluate you on that. Yeah. I mean, how did you how did you feel in those those years having to be sort of being told what to do and how to do it and why yeah, to do it? It's an interesting one. I think when I was at people the company, the software company, which was called PeopleStream, um, it was good because I was around entrepreneurs, so I was learning heaps and I loved mm. it. Like I had one of the guys I used to work with, Lyle, who was the CEO of the company. He had sold a business for like a hundred million, and so I used to work closely with him. And he used to take me everywhere because you know we got along really well. Mm. So that was good, and I was like just valued learning from him. So you sort of shifted gears a little bit yeah, to go, exactly. I, need I need to start to learning learn. more. Because I had those values, you know, I've yeah. been trying to start stuff and having no, no luck and, you know, had obviously that nightclub that I tried to start and my own DJ business never really had much luck, but I knew I wanted to start a business mm. and I just knew I needed to, like, learn more. So that's one of the reasons I went into the corporate space. Um, and I was just lucky that, you know, my first role was with a company that had entrepreneurs I could work with in more detail like that who were very, very successful, like, you know, selling businesses, for 100 mil it was, mm. it was pretty good so that was good and that's why I was there for you know I think I was probably there for like four years or so and learned heaps from him and then you know obviously I had that role come up with Formula 1 and I was like oh Formula 1 that's going to be cool Formula 1 is where I felt a little bit more suffocated mm -hmm. because it was more regimented um, and that's where I sort of said to myself you know I want to get back into doing my own business I've learned heaps from my time at PeopleStream and learned more about being an entrepreneur and this and that um, and so when I was at the Formula One, I was doing a little bit of online trading at the time. So I was, you know, trading the financial markets because I just had this passion for trading. Um, and, you know, I was because I was working so hard at the Formula One and the the nature of the instruments that I was trading was meant you had to monitor the markets pretty regularly, right? Mm. So be um, honest for the, the calls and the puts and yeah, sell yeah, and buy just, and stuff like that. Just and, making sure you know where, where the markets is because it could move so yeah. fast. And, and what year was this just for... Oh, Testament, 2000, probably 2006. 2006. Yeah, yeah, so we're still talking some pretty yeah, yeah. rough yeah, like yeah. trading algorithms yeah. and platforms, not your e-trade today, some yeah, pretty yeah, primitive some, yeah, early it stuff. A, it was around then when I first started, and then, yeah, it was pretty primitive. Um, and then what happened was I uh, had this idea for a trading indicator which would actually you know, send me a notification every time a trade setup was forming based on a few, um, like, Indicators basically, mm -hmm. it would have a bit of technical analysis on the chart. It would then send me a, a notification saying, Hey, there's a potential trade opportunity coming up. Um, <laughs> you know, here's the thing. So, I had this idea and I got the software built. Yeah. And I went on to Elance at the time. And look, this was you know, what six years ago now, that's a fair while ago. Um, and I, you know, this is back because I started trading like 2008, but then mm. I was sort of gradually doing it. And the trading things sort of uh, evolved over time. So, this was like 2012. Um, 2011 probably and so yeah I, I went on to Elance at the time had a software developer make this for me literally cost me 200 bucks right it was nothing it was a guy mm -hmm. from Russia and then I started using the software and I was like using it myself and going you know it was actually pretty good mm -hmm. he was sending me some notification I'm like hmm you know, this is actually quite a good bit of software yeah. so I thought to myself I might actually try and sell this online you know, as, as you do yeah. you got a little idea and I looked and some of the products out there looked terrible and I basically bought like a, a $30 WordPress theme and 
put this thing online for sales. I created the website, called it like Forex EZ or something like that. Um, put this indicator up for sale for like, I think it was $50 or something like that, it was nothing. And you know, put it on the affiliate networks related to that um, uh, that target demographic, that really market. Really, affiliate networks? Yeah, you know affiliate networks? You heard of, you know, much I've of heard of it, but if you could take a little bit more, just for context. Yeah, just for context. That. So affiliate networks are basically, um, it's like getting partners on board who will promote your product for gotcha. you. And you yeah. put your product on there and people go, yeah, I've got a target, I've got a you know, demographic of people who would love that product, I'll go sell it to them. Gotcha. Right? And then they take you split the cut or whatever it yeah. is. And, then... and that's what like internet marketers all do. That's you know, all of them are just affiliates for stuff and they make commission on things. So mm-hmm. I put it on there and gave like a 50% commission um, and then I started doing some basic SEO on it because I knew about that. I did some PPC because PPC was cheap back then. Mm-hmm. Those <laughs> keywords, <laughs> which <ran> <laughs> Yeah. I ranked for like some really good keywords because I built that site in a specific way that I knew would rank. Um, and basically it went gangbusters. Like all the affiliates got behind it because it looked better than everything else, mm. right? So everything in that, that market was using these big cheesy sales pages saying, hey, we're going to make you a million dollars overnight if you just install this software, all this sort of crap, you know, yeah. real cheese. And so, so you're like, a virus. Yeah, yeah you're just like, Ugh. and then I just made this page that looked clean, it looked really professional, put it out there and everyone just got behind it and people just went, this looks quality and just started, you know, it sold heaps. So I was like, fantastic. I built, you know, this pretty big database of people purchasing the product. It was quite popular. Um, and then, a US trading firm came along and said, you know, Mark, you know, they didn't know I was Mark because I was just uh, <laughs> pretended I had a, you know, team yeah. behind me. It was just me. <laughs> so we didn't really have a business. It was just the product that was selling well. Um, said, you know, we want to basically buy everything off you because for them, you know, the database of traders, they could sell their trading mm. services into them and then they have like a lead generation thing there. Yeah. So that offered me a, you know, good, good sum for it, which was, you know, 25 at the time and... <laughs> You know, thinking to myself, oh, here's my big break. Yeah, so I, this I took is the it. money. Yeah. I probably could have got more for it, looking in, um, you know, retrospect. But, you know, at that age, you're sort of like, yeah, I'm in. Yeah. You just want to get it over the line because you're sort of wowed by that type of money. And then, yeah, so I, I took the money and um, then, you know, decided to, to leave the Formula One because I, you know, realized that I've now hit my bit of success. And at that stage, I thought I knew everything. So, yeah, so at that point, you were like, no, I've done it, <laughs> yeah. I've broken through, yeah, I've learned I mean, everything, yeah. let's go do this kind I'm, of thing. I'm the god to the internet. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, you, when you're male and you're 25 at that age and you've had your first bit of success, you tend to get a little bit ahead of yourself. Mm. Um, I look back at that and, uh, you know, then I said to myself, you know, what, what else can I do? And I started, you know, making some investments in things that were probably... Uh, a little bit that I shouldn't have like I bought like an apartment which was in a terrible location I over leveraged myself with trading started doing some dumb stuff um, but that's also when I launched Revenus as well around that stage too so I was launching Revenus and I was also making these other investments and Revenus for, for those that don't know um, Revenus is a, a business that I own where we basically get people to vote online for their favourite songs of a particular genre and then we count down the top 50 live at a venue. And we license out that software to nightclubs and we also run our own events. Mm. Um, and we launched that back then and that thing blew up as well. We, you know, heaps of people loved it, got around it and we ran these pretty big events and it was great. Um, but yeah, I was having, at the other side at the same time, I was having these you know, little investments which were starting to sort of create a bit of financial <laughs> pressure on me because it basically almost dwindled away all the, the, the money I'd made from mm-hmm. that, that trading indicator. So. At the same time as I was sort of, you know, trying to push reminisce out there, I then started another business called Social Empire. Now, Social Empire was more of a 
started off as just like you know helping people build websites, doing a bit of digital consultancy, and then what happened was you know I realised that there was a bit of a formula for creating a website quickly online and, and getting a business up and running fast because I'd done it with Reminisce and I'd done it with that trading indicator yeah. as well. So I created, created the book Five Minute Business, and the, the purpose of Five Minute Business was to really give people the knowledge on how they can set up their own online business really yeah. quickly. Um, now the problem that I found with that is, you know, I was using that book really to promote the business social empire, mm. um, and so I launched it out there, and because not many people were talking about this sort of stuff at the time, that book went gangbusters. So, well, I'm curious as well too. Yeah. I kind of want to dive into this a little bit more. Yeah. So, because um, I, I find the whole idea of writing a book quite quite interesting. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. How did you? I mean, why did you decide on writing a book and documenting this this sort of thing you've come across? Of was it just that you knew you needed you you started this consulting thing on the side and you knew you needed to essentially get leads and start to develop some interest around it? Like, what was you thinking around creating the book? Yeah. How did like, you go about that? Well, what sort of inspired me to do it was uh, there's a few companies out there that really get behind, you know, building up your personal brand and some of the elements that they suggest is, hey, you need, you know, like to be publishing content, you need to build up your, your social media profile and one of their key things is, hey, write a book mm-hmm. on, a, on a subject, which is, you know, builds up your authority when you can say you're an author, mm-hmm. um, which is good. It's really good. But the problem is with that, I think, you know, it's created a market of a lot of crappy books out there. Oh, yes. a lot of people do it. Yes. Heaps of people yeah. do it. They just go, I'll create a book. Yeah. And they create these crappy books and there's a ton of crappy books out there. Um, so I have followed that formula of, you know, start to write a book based on that advice, which, good advice. I, I still leverage the book mm-hmm. effectively. But I think, you know, I probably didn't think about it enough when I launched that book because, you know, I launched it out there and then the people who are reading it probably didn't have the right skills to be able to implement what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So I used it as a lead generation and, and the people who were attracted to that book um, you know, probably thought, yeah, this is you know, a great way for me to build my business. But they come into it and you know, they're trying to build their own website. They're struggling because they don't have the technical ability. So I wouldn't suggest now for people who you know, were reading the book to, to do it themselves anymore. I'd be saying, hey, partner up with someone who's technically minded, get them to help you out and build the website, you do the sales and marketing, whatever. So is your thinking then, when you're going through that process, mm. sort of, I've been able to do it, so why yeah, can't yeah, other people kind of think, essentially? Yeah. Yeah. But I think you've got to realise that not everyone has the same mindset as me, and not as technically minded as me, and you know, you, at that age you're thinking everyone can do it, no, it's easy, you just have to do this and this, and everyone can set it up, but yeah. people's brains work differently, and look, I'm young and immature at this stage, only you know, 20, 20, whatever, like early, mid-20s. Um, didn't probably realise that. And so, yeah, I launched that book and then what happened was, yeah, I did pretty well out of it. Like, I did well out of the book and I did well out of people who were coming in and doing training from me. Because mm-hmm. basically what happened was people would get the book and then I'd invite them to a, a strategy session and, um, you know, either get them into coaching or, or a group training session. And we, like, did really well out of it. But then when I was working with these with some of the people, I realised that, hey, I don't think they're going to get the results they're after because they don't have the technical abilities or the funds to be able to really push through to get them where they need to go. They just rocked up with a dream, wanting to make yeah, it big. Yeah. And and look, it was a big realisation for me that I probably had the wrong book for the wrong target demographic. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, great learning, great learning. And, and But the problem was I started to hate what I was doing around that space. So I ended up just selling that business because I was just like, no, nah, I can't do this. Because um, I just ended up hating it. Do you remember the moment though? Where it was obviously you've written a book, you yeah. built this business. Do, do you remember the moment where you were kind of going, "Fuck, this isn't, this isn't going to work, or this isn't working"? Do yeah. you remember that moment? I do remember that moment. I was working with a client, and 
you know, they were struggling to sort of get a website up and running and, you know, I could see what was wrong. And I was telling them, but it just wasn't sinking in and I just I realised because it was sort of consistent with people who were in my network and I said, okay, um, this isn't working out. I, I, you know, created the product and it's not right for this target demographic. Mm. So I said, that's when I said, okay, I'm, I'm getting out of this business because if I keep going further with it, it's going to, you know, I'm going to end up hating, you know, everything I do. So yeah. you got to, you know, realise that early and just make the call on something. So I ended up, because I built a, a bit of a network and a bit of a database of clients, I ended up selling the business. I probably broke even with it, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, okay. Uh, and then I decided, you know, I need to sort of pull back I'd figured out that I'd got myself into a lot of debt at that stage yeah. for those investments I had going. Like the apartment ended up costing me heaps because the building was stuffed and it wasn't um, covered in building insurance. So I had to get like the balcony fixed and it cost me a ton of money. And I was trying to sell it. So I was in like, you know, quarter million dollars in debt, hmm. um, which was putting on some massive financial pressure on me. So I just started like doing a bit of consulting, a bit of work just to build myself back up. And um, Luckily at the time as well, so I still had reminisce going, which was going fine. That's just sort of churning along, but it wasn't taking up a ton of my time. And you know, doing the consulting was great, but then I figured out that hey, you know, I need to get back into something at some stage. And luckily enough, uh, I met a guy called Alex Peruse, who's a pretty successful business um, my entrepreneur. Uh, I'd met him through a mutual friend of ours called James Tuckerman, who runs Ant Hill Magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a good friend of mine. I'd done some work with him, and he runs a pretty big community he'd done a few interviews with me as well and I'd done some with him and you know we we're, were good partners and he introduced me to Alex and you know Alex had, lives in Sydney I live in Melbourne but he'd come down to Melbourne a fair bit and we'd just catch up and talk about business and yeah became good friends and he said to me look he's after a business partner uh, someone who specializes in online because mm-hmm. uh, he's he's very offline so he his businesses that he'd um, grown and exited were like a door-to-door sales company which he grew up to 45 staff and sold off so mm-hmm. He's very good at sales, offline sales. So he started this online business, which was Linkfluencer. And for those that don't know, uh, Linkfluencer is Australia's leading LinkedIn training company. We basically train entrepreneurs, sales guys, how to generate leads, media and partnerships through LinkedIn. Um, back when he approached me, you know, it was just him and he had an assistant in the business and he wasn't promoting it too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so he said, I want to scale this thing up. I see a big opportunity in it. And I said the same thing because I've obviously been, um, you know, talking to him about his business for a while because we've known each other for a while. And I said, yeah, I think there's a great opportunity as well. And he says, would you like to business partner? So basically used some of my last bit of my capital I had left <laughs> and bought equity in his company. Burned um, the boats. Yeah, <laughs> burned the boats. And then said, let's do this. So threw it all in there, went and did it. And then we just blew that business up because we both have complementary skill sets. Mm. And that's been a big learning for me is that, you know, if you're going into a business partnership, you've got to be thinking, who can I business partner with who has complementary skill sets? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you can business partner with someone who's too much like you and you won't get anywhere because you're both putting energy into the same space. Same thing, yeah. So it's really important. I'm technically minded. I know everything about online setup, online funnels, um, that sort of jazz, where he's really good at the offline sales component. It just was a perfect fit. And he had already built a pretty big database as well. I knew how to leverage that database. Yeah. But we really started to really promote LinkedIn to hard, used a lot of my skills, you know, to get the sales funnel right online um, and really leverage the database and get the product suite right as well. And, you know, since we work together, you know, it's been two years now, we've grown to 10 staff. Um, it's incredible effort. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's huge. Like in two years, bring on that many. And um, we're very light company as well. We don't need, like, that's a lot of staff mm. for what, what we do. 
Um, it's because, you know, a lot of it's online and, you know, we've got entrepreneur uh, members, uh, entrepreneur community that we have and, you know, we basically take them for our uh, LinkedIn training and give them access to, um, you know, like an action plan and to a community and support network as well. And then we do corporate stuff as well. And we work with like your KPMGs, your Westpacs, your NABs. We run like corporate training sessions with them. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was doing over in uh, the States. I was, I was running basically a, a, a training session for, a, a, you know, a big size company. So, um, yeah, that, that business has grown phenomenally well. Uh, and, you know, been able to apply all the success, all the failures and successes to, be able to put that into that and it's you know you can see by where we're at now and where the business is going so that's well, link forward to yeah i think it's great too because you know as we sort of talked about your story there's been there's been a couple of different paths we've talked about in mm. terms of the the different ventures you've gone on yep. and what you've got out of it for whether it was a successful venture or not kind of thing but mm. you know developing the online aspect yep. and obviously developing communities and looking at that through what you were doing mm. at the uh, you know starting up the nightclub and whatnot bringing that together and I think it's interesting because you've, you've developed this toolbox mm. where then all of a sudden you found someone who had a really good idea the other half of that and mm. then you're able to say yeah okay I've, I've kind of I kind of I've been sort of inadvertently developing all these really valuable skills, yes. this toolbox, and now you're able to say, "Great, now I know what to pull out and plug in." Exactly. And you've already made those mistakes too. And something I, I'm always really pushing people, and this comes out of my big learning, is sometimes we're trying to be, I think, too strategic about our careers as mm-hmm. well too. We're trying to look at our, we're trying to look at a 30-year career and work our way back as well too. But by you just sort of chasing your passions and chasing those opportunities, you've inadvertently developed this incredible skill set, which has actually led you to, you know, be able to create a business or be able to partner with somebody with a great idea yeah. and do so well in a business so quickly as well, too. And if you hadn't maybe necessarily made some of those mistakes. Yeah, we'd never have gone way to out. Yeah, exactly. And even the failures as well, too. Again, something we try to really try to talk about in the podcast that, you know, those failures can actually lead to the successes you're going to around the corner as well too. Exactly. Um, from there, I want to go back just to, just for a few moments and just talk a little bit about the start of uh, Reminisce as well too. Mm. So you and uh, you and your business partner, Jorge, had already been working together a little bit, but yeah. can you, can you t- kind of take us through, I suppose, those early days in terms of, you mentioned there's an algorithm for a software and yeah. like, how did you use some of your previous experience to, to take that idea and actually create what it is now? Yeah, so like I said, you know, obviously Corey, and I were business partners in our DJing business and then we went off on our own paths for a while. Mm. Um, I went to the corporate space and then, you know, he came back to me and said, hey, I've got this idea, um, you know, do you want to do it together? Like, and he said, I want to make it so people could vote online, you know, they, they vote for their top five favourite songs and then we, um, you know, count down top 50 live at a venue, kind of like a Triple J Hottest 100. For those that are overseas, there's a huge music countdown in Australia <laughs> called the Triple J Hottest 100. Yeah where everyone votes for their favourite songs for the year and it counts down on a day. And I don't think it, they're not doing it anymore for some reason. Aren't they? Yeah, I don't think oh, they're I have to admit, I think that was one of my favourite things when I first came to Australia, yeah. how it is an Australian institution. Mm. It is like, again, coming from North America, coming from Canada, yeah. uh, a lot of Canadian listeners, and I suppose for my Canadian listeners, the equivalent of like how iconic Tim Hortons is to mm. the Canadian identity, the Triple J 100 <laughs> is about as, about as Australian as... As you get, as, as gets, really. So everyone has a barbecue. They listen to the Triple J Hottest One Hundred. So we're like, well, let's apply that same process for you know dance and house music. So, you know, I said to him, that's nah, a great idea. I can build that out because. Mm-hmm. So what we did was we got a WordPress, as you know. <laughs> I'm seeing a theme <laughs> yeah, right? here. Yeah, got the WordPress. Made it, got a quick template that looked you know nice and sort of you know, dance sort of theme. 
um, created a plugin within that. I got a developer to create it again. It literally didn't cost much. Maybe Same thing. Just, you knew how to do it. Freelance. And Freelancer, yeah. Elance. Got a got a little developer. This guy was from the Philippines um, to build this little voting system within it, and it was crap. Like it was. If I showed you it now, you'd be like, "Oh, that's ugly as." <laughs> but it's six years ago. Um, so we created this thing and then we ran like a little pilot party where we got our friends just to vote online hmm. um, at a little at a, a friend's backyard we ran this event and we got everyone to vote and everyone loved it right? Mm. so we had this party the cops came writers were playing the number one tune broke the party <laughs> up but there was like 50 of us there yeah. all having a great time and then we said yeah we've got to we've got to do something with this there's so something here we got to go there here. but we didn't like in the Melbourne club scene you know you've got to know people to be able to sort of get in and get a good venue and mm. get a good DJ and we knew we wanted to get a guy called John Course who was like one of the most known DJs in Melbourne at the time or even Australia around house why, like, did, why did you want to get him on though? because he's like the king of house everyone Gosh. knew John Course he was like he's one one of the people who originally really pushed house music in Melbourne and mm. we thought for a reminisce countdown because that's you know you need someone who's got a nostalgia associated thing so we needed John Course so and we needed a good venue, and we wanted to do it at a nightclub called Prince, which was one of the most successful nightclubs uh, when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. And it's everyone knows that venue, Prince Bandroom. So, like, we need that venue, and we need John Course, but we don't know anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so then we got another third business partner called Sean, Sean Rowett, um, who knows everyone. Right? Mm-hmm. He knows everyone in Melbourne. Uh, and he's been good friends of ours since we were 18 as well, and he actually helped a little bit when we were doing Red Room. We mm-hmm. got him to help promote, and he was the one I was... He was one of the guys I was telling you before who we got, you know, promoters on who knew people. He was one of those people. Um, and Sean knows everyone. We've been good mates for ages. So we got him as the third business partner. And he was obviously to get us in front of these guys. And, you know, he can bring a heap of crowd as well. So he yeah. heaps of value he can add to the business. Um, so firstly, we get in front of John Course. And, you know, we say, you know, we want to do this. We pitch the idea to him. And then he said, okay, um, you know, I'm in. Uh, but... You know, that, that's if Prince are on board because he didn't want to do it. He didn't have a vet, the Prince venue because right. he was like, you know, and he didn't. And it's hard with DJs too because they want to play their own music. So we're saying, hey, you've got to play this list. We're going <laughs> yeah. to give you a list of music them. and you're just going to go through the <laughs> yeah, list. Play yeah. it. So you got, like, that's so anti for DJs yeah. who are just like, they feel like they're a jukebox. So we're like, well, and this is the concept. And he's like, all right, if you, if you get Prince on board, we'll do it. Mm. So then we go to Prince and we go, you know, it took us ages to get a meeting with them. We said, this is what we want to do. And this is a whole new concept and, you know, they're thinking these guys don't know anyone. It's a risk for them because yeah. if we, they give us the venue, they might have been able to give it to someone else who could bring in a thousand people and they lose heaps on the bar. Mm-hmm. So we're like, you know, we want to do it. Um, this is what it is. John Corse has said he's on board, which he hadn't. You know, he said if they get <laughs> princes on board. So he said that and they said, okay, if John's on board, they're like, okay, we'll give you a date, um, but it's, you know, it's going to be one of our lower dates. Mm-hmm. Like, a date which isn't busy for them, which is like the Friday of the St Kilda Fest. <laughs> right? St Kilda Fest is massive, but yeah. it's massive on Sunday. Yeah. So they gave us that Friday. Yeah. When no one's going out on the Friday, and we're like, okay, let's let's just do it. Let's so they stacked it, it basically against you. Stacked it against us, but we're like, yeah, because they're not. They're like, it's less risk for them doing yeah. that. Anyway, so we we launched it out there. You know, we put the investment basically. You know, we, we put the, the money up that we need to put up for the for the event. Um, you know, paid John Corset to pay him up front. We had to pay for the venue, all this sort of stuff, and then. The event just blew up. Right? Mm. Everyone loved the idea because we got everyone to vote online. We promoted it heavily on social media. Um, Sean was obviously promoted using his networks, and we had like 800 votes. And we just packed this place out. Everyone loved it, and it was like people were saying that event was like the best event they've had because it took them back to when they were like 18. Mm. So mm. everyone just thought it was awesome. And 
the concept's just grown from that. Now, um, you know, obviously the voting system got an upgrade. We didn't use the WordPress anymore. We, <laughs> now they had a bit of money, I'd imagine. Yeah, we ended up turning it into like a Facebook app. We had that custom built and we set it up so we can easily license it to other companies like at nightclubs and things like that. So, you know, a lot of nightclubs come to us from rural areas and uh, overseas and things like that and say to us, hey, we want to run a reminisce. Um, sometimes they call it reminisce, sometimes they call it something different. And we basically just charge them a license fee to run the, the software for them because it's such a good concept because it brings the crowd into the music and mm. people are wondering what's coming next and... You know, they're hearing good songs because they've chosen them because, you know, often you can go somewhere and you listen to a DJ player who's just decided he's going to play what he wants. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's not your style of music and, you know, then you have a bad night because you haven't enjoyed the music. But if everyone's voting, it's a collective. I'll be uh, curious. People yeah. are probably like, oh, I wonder where my song is kind yeah, of thing as yeah. well too. And, oh, this is my favourite one. It works really well. Yeah. Like you see, you know, at the events that we run, like people have got like, Shirts on which says, you know, lyrics of some of the songs that they've chosen for and things like that. And people yeah. just get into it big time. People wear like the stuff they used to wear when they first started, you know, started going out. So, yeah, it, it's it's a good concept. You know, mm. People love it, and it's it's made you know people really enjoy those nights and have a good time, which is awesome to see. Yeah, and the idea of licensing as well too mm. was that something that you guys had already kind of thought of right away, or was that just something that's organic where people started asking for it or looking at it and applying the idea elsewhere? Someone gave us. You know, organics, someone gave us some advice around that and said, yeah. oh, this is what you should do. And then we sort of investigated and saw that people were willing to mm-hmm. do that. And people did start asking us as well. Other clubs said, hey, how do we you know, do this as well? So, yeah, it was kind of advice and then organics came out of it. So that sort of nicely all came together. So Yeah, yeah. cool. No, yeah. that's excellent. So, so we've kind of come full circle. So mm-hmm. we obviously, um, you know, talked a lot about your journey, yeah. uh, a lot of the failings, a lot of the challenges, and obviously a lot of the great things that sort of came together. But I suppose as we look forward into the future, I mean, what's what's next? What's next? Well, I think, you know, obviously continuing to grow Linkfluencer, uh, and then I'll probably get into advisor at, at some stage. Mm-hmm. I think I know who I can advise really well and add a lot of value to. And because at the moment, you know, with our entrepreneur community, what I've realized is that and our entrepreneur community, a lot of them are pretty high level, mm-hmm. um, is that I add a lot of value to these people when I'm chatting to them one-on-one and giving them some advice on what they should do with their sales funnels because, you know, a lot of the people who are in our group um, and, you know, they're founders of, of pretty successful companies and owners of these companies, um, a lot of them are a bit older and they don't completely understand the, the, the social media, they don't mm. understand the online space, setting up online sales funnels. Whereas I do. And this whole new dynamic of business. Yeah, it's, it's a whole different paradigm for them. You know, mm-hmm. they're used to the old cold calling and, you know, just creating relationships physically and things like that and, you know, not having a need for a website. So I understand that space completely because um, I've been doing it for like, you know, since I was 18, so like 14 years mm-hmm. in that space, just trying and building stuff and failing. Um, so I understand it completely and, you know, when I speak to these guys, they're just like, they love it. You know, I give them a lot of good advice. So I think that's something I'm passionate about, but it has to be to a certain, you know, type of audience or a certain target demographic because, you know, my advice wouldn't be good, like I knew it wasn't, <laughs> for someone who's in the startup space. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that, that's what I'd probably get into advisory, whether that's investing in companies uh, or just advising people one-on-one for, you know, fees and equity, whatever that looks like. So mm-hmm. I think that's probably where I'll end up. You know, I'll probably still have a few different business interests, probably try not to be operational in them um, and just be sort of advising because that's, that's what I 
find that I had to most value. Mm. You know, one of the things that sort of uh, piqued my memory was you said you've been doing it since you were sort of 18 and mm. sort of going back to, we were talking about your your journey through PPC and the funnels and, you mm. know, putting buy buttons and whatnot. You were yeah. sort of the very early stages yeah. um, of what this version of the internet we have kind of thing. Yeah. And it reminds me a little, back, a little bit of um, uh, Bill Gates' yeah. story as well too, where mm. Bill Gates had a bit of an unfair advantage because he, he had access to one of the early computers mm. and all of a sudden being around that sort of thing. So you literally can't get much more experience than Bill Gates because he was there right from yeah. the get-go. Yeah. And in the sense, you were very much there from the get-go as well too. You can't get much more yeah. experience in it. And it just makes me kind of think about, okay, for for myself, maybe mm. even nothing else, going, okay, well, what's, what's the future? What's that next mm. thing that hasn't blown up yet, but I'm super passionate about, I'm super interested in it. Maybe I've got ideas that mm. I don't think it's going to be maybe successful in the future, but still yeah. that interest of it. And yeah. you know what? You never know. It could be just like that in 10 mm. years from now, that little passion, that little thing that you're just doing on the yeah. side turns into this really big valuable part that you can bring yeah, exactly. back to business or back to the community or back to, you know, whatever particular aspect that's applicable for. So, yeah. yeah, you never know where the world's going to go. So you just got to keep, my suggestion to people is just do stuff. Yeah. Just do something, you know yeah. what I mean? Just do it, like try it. You know, don't get, like people get paralyzed and think, oh, it's, I don't know if I want to do that, so I won't do it. Just do it for a couple of years and see what mm. happens. And then, you know, that could lead into that, could be leading to that. You just got to go with the flow. Yeah. And that's what I've always done. If an opportunity, I don't go for every opportunity now, but, you know, when opportunities come up, I've obviously investigating on yeah i'll give that a go because you know at the end of the day you've got a, a long time in in your working life yeah you know people think they've got to, they've got no patience i've got to do this now and i've got to be successful just give stuff a go learn things and then if you don't like it do something else it's not the end of the world yeah so just get out there and just start doing it well we were speaking to earlier before yeah. we started recording going back to andrew mckinnon whom you know yeah uh you know one of the things he said and the big takeaway i got out of it is yeah. his learning was is that 20s are for learning 30s are for earning yeah yeah uh and maybe if you're in your 30s maybe your 30s are for learning and your 40s are for earning yeah, it might be, yeah. might be like that but to really take this sort of experimental mindset because mm. you don't necessarily know where it's going to take you as well too and maybe yeah. yeah you're starting something before it's even there but if you don't start um, you know, then it's just not going to happen. Exactly. And at the end of the day, we're probably going to be end up living longer these days anyway. Mm. You think where medical technology is going? Yeah. I'd be surprised if we're all living to 150 anyway. So, you Absolutely. know, when people say 20s for learning and 30s for earning, I completely agree. But it doesn't matter if it's your 30s learning and 40s because I think the life expectancy is going to evolve too. So. We'll be working to our yeah, 70s and be... you'll, uh, you'll have 50 years of that. So. Exactly. No, fantastic. Um, so... Uh, this has been absolutely fantastic, but as always, keeping on time, and I know I want to get you out to explore some of, or enjoy some of that beautiful, if not uh, blustery Melbourne weather, yeah. transition onto our uh, rapid-fire questions. Are yeah. you ready to go? Sure. So the first question is, is what book has most changed your life, and I'd love if you could place this as to where you read it, and what context did it change everything? Okay, so books are funny, you know, because you read books at certain points of your life, and they make impact at that point of your life. But if I read that book now, I'd be like, oh, that's a bit basic. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, you know, you could talk about books I'd read when I was like 18 around like Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which started that, open up that sort of mind frame around, you know, money and, you know, assets and building assets and not getting into debt and good debt and bad debt, things mm-hmm. like that definitely had an impact. And I think probably the one that had the most impact would be like your Tim Ferriss 4-Hour Workweek around that time when I was starting to learn about outsourcing and that pushed mm. me down that path. Again, if I read that now, I'd be like, that's basic. Um, but at that time, it was the right book for me to read, like The Rich Dad, Poor Dad or whatever it might be. Um, and if I look at like books that have had 
more impact, you know, more recently, they'd be like, you, you know, your Robert Greene books, like your 48 Laws of Power. Mm-hmm. Classic. That's a great book. And then you've got, I'm a big fan of Ryan Holiday's, you know, like Obstacles Away. I read that a couple of years ago and I thought this was fantastic, you know, because it's very stoic. Mm. So, Just on that as well, mm. too, I've had a few people sort of reach out to me asking about that. Mm. Do you, what is, what is sort of your, your thoughts around stoicism and that sort of thinking? I love stoicism. Yeah. I'm big on it because after I read that, and I think I've always had sort of a stoic mindset anyway, and then I've read that and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And I started reading a bit more of Seneca mm. and, um, you know, your Marcus Aurelius and stuff like that. And I really like those principles. So I'm, I'm big on stoicism because it keeps you grounded. Yeah. It's a good, and like Tim Ferriss and Ryan Holiday will say, it's, it's an operating system for your mind and it keeps you from going, okay, getting too excited about great opportunity or getting down on yourself about, you know, mm. issues that, you know, you can't really control. Yeah. yeah. I think it's great. I know Gemma mm. Lloyd talked about that. I think part of yeah. her practice is she's got the, uh, uh, the daily stoic or something like that. Yeah. That's and, the Ron Holiday's book. Yeah. So, yeah. And, uh, just reading a passage out every mm. day kind of thing just yeah. to keep you in. I think that's, I think yeah. that's brilliant. Um, who's been the greatest influence on your life growing up and it could be somebody you didn't know or some other prominent figure. Yeah. I think if you go to prominent figures, I'd say, you know, you, you've got your Tim Ferriss's like, he's got a very similar mindset to me, I think. So, mm. He had a, a big impact when I, you know, reading his books, listening to his podcast, definitely him. You know, these people like Anthony Robbins as well, you know, gets you out there and get you pumped up about, you know, transform your life. Um, and then, you know, my mum's had a big impact on me because she's very career driven. She's been very successful in her career. Uh, you know, she's done well in the academic space. She's like head of school of one of the univer- big universities here in Melbourne. Um, and, you know, so she's very, very driven and that sort of inspired me to be driven as well. She came from a pretty poor family, like miners in, mm. in England, like we were born in England, I was born in England originally. And, you know, she came from a very poor family and just has worked her way up to be, you know, and she's a female as well in a male dominated industry has gone right mm. to the top. So she's definitely had a big impact. And I think, you know, if I look at my work career, probably one of the directors at, one of the owners at PeopleStream that I work for, he was very entrepreneurial, told her he made like, 100 mil for one of his businesses. I worked with him very detailed um, at the right time for me when I wanted to learn about business. He taught me heaps mm. about sales. You know, he got me good at sales and I learned a ton from him and how to run a business. So I think those those probably those people they'd have the biggest impact on me yeah Yeah. i think that's great too i love how you actually go through and listed a couple people too something i know i really take on is that there's probably no one single person but it's one person embodies something that i really uh, strive to or resonates well with me or i just go i want to be more like that That. yeah and then having those sorts of different people and those different resources for yeah if i need a bit of a pump up yeah i've got my tony robbins going if i'm more for just the practical stuff got the tim ferris exactly everybody in between so yeah it's hard to just say one person because one person has got a certain element that's going to add to your life. So yeah, you can never say one person. Absolutely. And yeah. like we spoke about us earlier too, yeah. everybody's journey is unique as well too. Yeah. So if you try to look at somebody and try to, depending on the depths, I know it could be, this is pretty deep concept, but if we yeah. go to, you're trying to emulate them too much or yeah. trying to uh, stick to that too much, that, that's their journey and that they yeah. were successful or achieved that in the context of their lives. But your yeah. context, even if you try to apply those learnings mm-hmm. and those thinkings and those methodologies, it's not the same context. Yeah, so not, it might not work for you. Yeah. And that's the thing. You always got to know that someone else's journey, if you're trying to put yourself against someone and say, oh, I wish I could have done that. They're 30 and I haven't done, achieved what they've achieved. Like, you know, it's Mark Zuckerberg's and, you know, I haven't done what he's done. You Then you're just always going to be down on yourself. But he's had different opportunities come his yeah. way. Even if you try to do stuff his way, you're probably not going to work out that way. So um, 
you got to live your life to your journey, not someone else's. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what gives you a disproportionate return on investment of your time and energy? Um, building sales funnels, online sales funnels. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't expect that one. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I think, you know, I've built a fair few online sales funnels now. And, you know, when I've built those out, they haven't cost me much because I know how to build it myself. I can get a designer to do it, developer to build it out and then promoted them out there. They've done really well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, they haven't. They don't because I've had that experience of technical experience and understanding that space. I can build on it super fast now and get thing get leads coming through and and do well out of it. Whatever whatever market it would be. So if yeah, that provides me definitely the biggest return on investment <laughs> out of anything. Yeah. I suppose for people listening, if they are yeah. running their own business, from more of a tactical point of view on yeah. this, because every business wants sales. Yeah. Is there any particular resource, obviously other than yourself, yeah. um, where you might recommend people go check out? It's just a really good source for looking to develop those. Building your own sales funnels. Yeah. Um, Russell Brunson has a good book called Dot Com Secrets. Now, the problem with Russell Brunson, he's got great uh, principles, and you know, I I definitely recommend reading his stuff. Um, but he's very internet marketing. Mm. What I mean by that is very, because he's American, that you know, it's very pumped up and yeah. you know, hypey. <laughs> you know, you retire in ninety days, that sort of stuff. Yeah. But his principles are sound. Yeah. Um. You know, he he promotes a thing called click funnels. I don't really like that, and that builds out your sales funnels. I don't really like that platform because I think it looks a bit too scammy and mm. just internet marketing to me. I, I like to say if I was going to build out, you know, a new funnel, I'd use WordPress, build it all custom. Use something like Infusionsoft or Active Campaign, but yeah, if, if you're gonna want to learn about that space, I'd definitely look into some of Russell Brunson stuff because his his foundations are solid. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll make sure as well to a link to uh, the talk you did as well back, and you sort of go through this a little bit I, a couple yeah. of years ago, but still, yeah. still a heap of gems in there. Um, I want to ask as well too, just to go off uh, rapid fire questions for a sec. Yeah. Um, just to go back to this to the idea of reading. How are you quite a voracious reader? Yeah, definitely. That? Definitely, I read all the time, so I probably read every day. Yeah. I think it's really important. And what drives your reading? Like, is it, are you trying to solve a problem or, you know, in terms of you have a challenge, you're trying to find a book or an answer in that book or what sort of drives your choice selection or what you're paying attention to at the time? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's a thirst for knowledge it comes down to for me. Um, and look, there's certain things that I go, yeah, I want to develop in. Like I might say, I don't know, I want to improve my health. I'll go and read a health book or, mm. you know, someone's book on this or I go, you know, I think I could improve this and I'll go and read, you know, a book on that. Like the other day I was thinking to myself, you know, I'd love to read about futurism and some of the new technologies that people are thinking are going to come out because I just find that space interesting. Mm-hmm. So then I read a book, um, The Inevitable, I think it's called, by, I think it's Kevin Kelly, um, which was interesting because it talks about his thoughts on what the big technological changes are going to be over the next, you know, 10, 20 years. So um, I think it's based on, interest also in development as well mm-hmm. um and look i think with reading too some people and i read non-fiction i don't read like you know you know game of thrones mm-hmm. books and stuff i just can't like i need to has to be something valuable mm-hmm. so i think what happens is with this sort of non-fiction space a lot of people sort of steer clear from it because it takes a while to build that muscle of reading that mm-hmm. you know what i mean because it's different yeah. you're not reading like a story which engages you you're yeah. reading something to add value so i think it's a muscle people need to build up mm-hmm. so people can't get past that point because a lot of people start reading and go, oh, it's hard and they fall asleep. Yeah. I know a ton of people who say it to me, but I go, it's like running. You got to, you know, when you first run, you're going to be tired and you're going, I want to give up. The same thing when it comes to books and and nonfiction. And, you know, you just got to keep pushing at it and, you know, keep understanding and find books that interest you as well because some things don't 
resonate with you. Like I've read some books that everyone goes, this is great. But then I started reading it and it wasn't in like a style that I liked. Yeah. So you yeah. might find styles that you like. So it's, yeah, it's, it's about trying different things, just getting out there and starting to read and pushing yourself through it. And then once you do, that's going to add a ton of value to your life. And how do you, how do you choose which book? Once you say do a health and wellness or yeah. sales or whatever it is, how do you then choose which book to then read? I find, like, you end up with books, you end up going on a bit of a rabbit hole, like you find. Like, you know, for example, if I was reading Tim Ferriss, you know, he's always referencing other books and mm. I'd be like, oh, I'm interested in learning more about that and then I'll sort of read that book and then it will lead me on to this book. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> and then yeah. Next minute you're like, where did I find my, how did I find myself here? Yeah. So that happens a lot in terms of my selection. But I think one of the other things that I do a lot is if I want to learn a certain space, I find someone that I find I respect in that area. Like, for example, um, you know, Tim Ferriss, he would do a podcast and I'm interested in, you know, health and improving that he might in, like interview like a Dave Asprey or something like that mm. and then I go and start following Asprey and see what he recommends and read his books so I go for people who are rec- who I respect of recommending mm-hmm. you know what I mean? yeah, absolutely and sometimes it's just a matter of doing a bit of a Google search as well get on the old Amazon and see what's see, see what's, what's see there, reviews yeah. that sort of stuff yeah. you know so I've, I've got an audible account and I if I'm looking at books and I'll just look at reviews sometimes and just make a choice on that. So Yeah, I think Audible is such a game changer yeah, for great. me. I just think of all the moments that I'm not um, – if I just think of all those moments that I'm actually just sitting down with yeah. doing nothing, yeah. it's a fair few and far between and that's what you need to yeah. read a book, which is great. But, um, yeah, Audible is great. One thing to add as well for people who have kind of got the same mm. feedback that sometimes reading these nonfiction books, especially depending on the book, it'd be a bit dry. You yeah. know there's some gems in there, but yeah. it's really dry, yeah. is to actually use something like an Evernote or a Google Doc. So mm. when you're reading through, yeah. be making notes yeah. or once you read a chapter, make a little synopsis for yourself as well. And it's great. It not only helps keep you engaged in that and yeah. keep you thinking about what it is, but it's also a great reference material. So if we need to go back to that mm. and go, oh, like I think there was a gem there. I think there was a bit of wisdom. It didn't stick at the time but now I want to go find that yeah. you, you can either go back and read your notes or figure out really quick where that is in that book read yeah. it again and sort of install it and go from there so. 100% there's also another thing uh, used as well called Blinkist Blinkist you've heard of Blinkist no, these I guys haven't. they summarise books within like 15 pages <laughs> wow so if you want to get into yeah. non-fiction space and you just want to get the, the key information yeah. you, they'll summarise it within 15 pages it's an app you read it on your, your phone or read it on your, you know, your iPad or Kindle as well and It'll just summarize everything, and then if you want to dive deeper into that, yeah. you can buy the book, but then you've got sort of the key information out of it. So, it's not a bad idea because yeah, I know pretty good. that's my biggest thing. I'm looking at the Amazon yeah. review, going, You're Okay, like, is this going to deliver? Yeah. Like, is it's writing a check, yeah. but is it going to deliver? So, no, excellent. Um, what mantra or inspirational quote has most changed your life, and why? And I'd love if you could place this as to where you first heard it. Okay, so how I see inspirational quotes is they're kind of like crack. Mm-hmm. Not that I've had crack before, <laughs> but they pump people up and they read this stuff. It's like, oh, follow your dreams and follow your passion, all this sort of jazz. And I just think that just pumps people up and leaves them high and dry. And then it's like a dream that fades mm-hmm. away. So I'm not big on inspirational quotes, but if there's one I had to choose and it's, it's probably going back to the stoic in me, it would be this too will pass. And that was a quote by, I think it was a, a Persian ruler went to his wise, and this was back, was who knows when, but went to his wise men and asked them for a quote that summarizes everything, you know, whether it's good or bad. And the wise men came back to him and said, this too will pass. And then Abraham Lincoln used that within one of his speeches he did mm. as well. Because basically you're saying that, you know, no matter what situation, if it's good or it's bad, it's going to pass. Yeah. You know what I mean? And 
that's a good way to look at things and it keeps you grounded because you know you can get it like like it's happened to me you get ahead of yourself you then start to make mistakes you over leverage and then you make some dumb dumb mistakes and look sometimes you have to make those mistakes to make that realization so it's hard someone might be listening to this now about to make a a big decision which is probably going to blow up in their mm-hmm. face right but no matter what I say or what anyone else says, they're probably it's not going to go into their brain. Yeah. They need to actually make that mistake to then go, okay, that was dumb and then they're wiser for it. Yeah. So I think this two pass helps me stay grounded. Um, that tattoo on my arm says live now. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just because I was doing a lot of reading in the spiritual space around, uh, I think it's a bit of Eckhart Tolle stuff and that sort of reminds me to just sort of live in the moment. So mm. I just came up with those words myself. Um, you know, it's pretty pretty normal i think it's pretty standard in those types of books anyway so i just thought those two words together would be good so if i had to choose it's this two will pass yeah one thing i'll say as well too yeah. I, I love um i think i think your comment about quotes is, is really powerful yeah it, they can be good yeah but yeah sometimes people are just just getting the hit yeah riding yeah. off the high about this is it yeah. i'm gonna change my life put it on and Facebook. then <laughs> yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I'll put it on Instagram. Yeah. I feel really good. I get yeah. lots of likes. I yeah. get my little dopamine hit, yeah, and yeah. then I'll sort of just move on and don't do anything with it. So yeah. sometimes I think it's it's needed a little energy boost. But yeah. yeah, I think people rely far too much on it. Whereas I think the difference though is what you mentioned too, which is critical, mm. is that the Stoic philosophy is also sometimes just it's a it's a bit of a patch that sometimes you need to go through. So yeah. it's not to help you get pumped up; it's to help you get through. Yeah. Get through it. essentially exactly. So and I think that's a key difference that. You kind of, it, it's really, again, a little bit too much in the quotey kind of space. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That, uh, I think that's really important. You made the mm. distinction. I think yeah. that's great. Um, if you could give a 20-minute TED Talk or some other speech on something you're not well known for, mm. uh, but really interested in, maybe a hobby or something else, yeah. what would it be and why? I'm really interested in the health space around like biohacking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, because I'm into Dave Asprey. Can you give us stuff. your top three biohacks? Uh, yeah, well, like I, the bulletproof coffee is great. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like having, you know, M, the, the brain octane oil, the MCT oil, uh, grass fed butter, really loading up on fat in mm-hmm. the morning. That's a great biohack, like fighting fat with fat. Mm-hmm. So you lose fat by actually consuming fat. Yeah. So that's a great biohack. I'll vouch um, for that one as well too. Yeah. I've, um, yeah, actually Use this morning it? I had a, I, I didn't have a full bulletproof, but I have some MCT oil and okay. I put it yeah. in a tea and, yeah. and, Perfect. uh, yeah, that's great. It, it, that's a, that's a great one for me. It's a game changer. Um, having collagen protein, um, collagen protein, collagen protein. So that's like, I think it's like the bones of like cows or yeah. some part of the, the cow. And that is unbelievable for your skin. Um, like if I had one supplement take, it would be that that's a great biohack because we're all low on collagen. We mm. stop producing it as we get older. So if you load yourself up and I have it every day, I have it in the morning in my bulletproof coffee and at night because mm-hmm. um, it helps you sleep as well. Collagen protein is great. If you can get it grass-fed, that's that's the best. And it's kind of this sticky sort of substance, much better than normal protein. Mm-hmm. Whey protein, all those things are actually bad for you. Um, and the other one, what supplement would I say would be great? Like magnesium, I think everyone yeah. needs that. Um, I have like a drink of magnesium before I go to bed every night and, you know, also use a spray you can on your body as well because sometimes your body doesn't absorb magnesium that mm. well. So those three would be great because that actually helps you sleep. You'll wake up feeling more refreshed in the morning. You'll sleep deeper and then you're ready to go for the day because I do, I do long hours. Yeah. So yeah. I need that energy in the day. So, yeah, basically very, very 
um, conscious about my health and supplementation because I need to be able to get most out of myself every day. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's so important. Yeah. I think the big thing too within that, and I think it's been a big probably learning for myself mm. through that is that your how you're feeling in the moment mm. in terms of you know emotionally, it could actually be linked to yeah. Maybe a low blood sugar. Yeah. Maybe you had a really bad sleep. Exactly. Maybe yeah. you're low on whatever it might be, kind of thing. Yeah. And the world that a just focus on nutrition, focus mm. on sleep, and get, trying to get some you know multivitamins and supplements and yeah. just all that sort of thing. It's amazing how all of a sudden that eight, ten, twelve hour day yeah. isn't nearly as exhausting and as draining as it was, kind of thing. So, exactly. But if you don't focus on that and you're eating like crap. Yeah. What do you expect? It's uh you know you rob what is it called the rob Peter to pay Paul. So there's a saying where you say, you know, if you're eating bad, you're gonna, oh, yeah. it's going to lead on to something bad. So, you know, you're always going to have to pay back the piper at some stage. Yeah. And absolutely. you might just be eating crap and then you suddenly get run down, you get sick for a week. Yeah. So cool. at some stage, it's going to catch up with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, one of my big sayings, that I don't know, probably my listeners are tired of hearing mm-hmm. them too, is that yeah. I've got a saying that the little things are the big things. Yeah. So if you are if you are consuming little crappy things all the time and stuff yeah. like that, it turns into a huge part of it and you are essentially what you eat, I yeah. believe. Um, so if you're not focusing on that, Hundred well, percent. That's it. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. So I suppose on that too. The last good mm. question here, and you might have already answered it, but yeah. I love if you could take us through your morning routine. Morning routine. So morning routines are super important. I think most of the successful people out there have like a very strict morning routine. I actually want to make mine better. Um, mine's you know don't have a great deal of time to do what I would like to do in the morning, but you know I'll get up. You know first thing I have is my bulletproof coffee. Um, which, you know, that's, that's all kickstart your day. Mm-hmm. If anyone's had a bulletproof coffee, they'll know what I mean. <laughs> that kickstarts your day. Um, you know, I'll do a bit of, you know, push up, sit up sort of thing to get the, get the blood flowing. Uh, I've got this thing called the five minute journal. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of that. Oh Tim, yeah. Tim Ferriss. Yeah, Come on. Yeah. I think Tim Ferriss. Yeah, Tim Ferriss. Yeah. yeah. So I do that cause I think it's important that you, you know, obviously set your intention for the day. What are you going to do to make today great? Mm-hmm. Um, it also makes you, you know, be grateful about some things. Yeah. Being grateful about something every day is really important because then... Yeah. Especially from the beginning as well too. Yeah. You can set that before you even walk out the door. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's like, you know, somebody punches you on the street. You're yeah. like, you've already kind of set yourself and like, no, you know, sort yeah. of buffering yourself to the day. 100%. So like, yeah, I'll do that, get, get myself pumped up and then I'll, you know, obviously head off to work and... Um, I'll listen to an audio book or something like that to really, you know, sort of inspire me for the day. Listen to a bit of music, and then I'm ready to ready to smash out the day. I, I, I want to add to that routine. There's a lot of things I'd love to add to it. Mm-hmm. I just read, funnily enough, Miracle Morning. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. That yeah. that's a really good book. Um, talks about the importance of getting that routine up there. So my routine is probably better than 95 percent <laughs> of the population, but I'd still like to improve it. So that's mine. The morning, bulletproof coffee, a bit of exercise. Um, you know doing the five minute journal and a little bit of listening to an audio book to get me pumped up for the day. Yeah. I think one thing too is having a a conversation with a good friend of mine, somebody deep, meaningful, you know, conversations and wisdom. And this idea that, um, discipline is something that I think most people would agree is a key thing. And we all think we have discipline, but, a good way to test yourself or a good way to train discipline is yep. to set a morning routine. It doesn't yep. have to be 10 things. You don't have to meditate and journal and all these sorts of things, but set three things as a non-negotiable you do before you step out the door that yep. day and do that diligently for mm. even a week. And if you can't do it, 
maybe there's maybe there's a tip of the iceberg of maybe some other challenges you might be facing in your life or around discipline. Exactly. Um, and on the flip side, I believe discipline is like a muscle. So if you can discipline, you can stay disciplined and just get a good morning routine. Again, just two or three quick things yeah. and do that for a while. I think then that starts to make it a lot easier to be able to flow out discipline yeah. and all those other sorts of things. So yeah. 100%. It's baby steps too. You can't just add everything at once or else you're just going to get negged out and not do it. Yeah. <laughs> so... You know, and like another thing I always do as well, which I probably should add it in there, but I didn't think it was that relevant. I make my bed every morning. I yeah. Think like Tim Ferriss, you know. Yeah. Everything so, could be going wrong in your life yeah. and there's not much you can control. <laughs> but one thing you can control is you can always make your bed. And it's, yeah. you know, nice to come back and home, you know, big day at work and, you know, your bed's ready to just jump in. It looks nice. Absolutely. No, something, <laughs> I, something I do as well too. Yeah, I admit, yeah. Probably not every day, but yeah, yeah, yeah. as much as I can. And uh, yeah. yeah, I need to do it. There you go. I need, this. I need to do it every day. That's it. You got to start doing that one in. Yeah. That's a good one. So, Mark, I really appreciate your time. We've gone yeah. through a lot of things. I suppose, as always, want to at this point in the in the chat, sort of ask that you know, having had the chat we've had and mm. reflected on everything we've discussed today, if you if you could go back to young young Mark yeah. um, or somebody who's listening to this who's maybe you know on a similar journey or, or, or wanting aspiring to do similar things, what maybe bit of advice or wisdom or um, what would you say to them to and not to make it easier, but to, to make the journey more bearable or, or, or some, some key message you think that they, they need to hear, what would that be? This too will pass. <laughs> Maybe yeah. it is. I think if I was going to put it in, it's similar to what I was saying before. You just go with the flow yeah. and just let it happen. Don't try and force things. I think when I've had failures, I've tried to force things. Whenever it, like, you know, I've tried to push for things and, and force things to happen, it's important to be driven, mm-hmm. but you can't force things. And I think when you force things, that's when things blow up in your face. So my suggestion would be just go with the flow, have patience, and just let things happen. Don't don't just um, you know think that you know, overnight success is going to happen. Just be patient, go with the flow, and things will go your way. Awesome. No, I think I think I was very well said. Um, I suppose then. Um uh, for everybody listening, um, mm. where can they connect to? Where can they sort of keep up on where your journey goes? Um, so probably best place to go right now would be linkfluencer.com. You can sign up to obviously our email list. Uh, that's my business. Or you can connect to me on like LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. Just look for Mark Widow. Pretty much you can get my website and it has all my social profiles there. I don't post too much on social media at the moment, but I... I am planning on changing that soon. <laughs> uh, so I'll start getting more active on social. And I think that would be, you know, your Facebooks, your LinkedIn's and, and your Twitters. So, awesome. um, and it's probably my Instagram account too is pretty, pretty dry at the moment. So I need to, <laughs> need to probably kick those back in. It's just, it's been hectic over the last couple of years getting Linkfluencer up that I haven't really invested too much in my yeah. social media profiles, but I definitely will. Yeah, fair enough. I'll make sure I include all the links in the show notes and obviously strongly encourage everybody to reach out to uh, to Mark, connect with them. But mate, it's been an absolute pleasure sitting down with you. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate uh, it. I'm sure we'll, I'm sure in a little bit, we'll do a round two and you're on to your fourth or fifth (laughs) venture and lots of gems to share. But mate, thanks for your time again. I really Uh, appreciate it. Look forward to it. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. And to everyone who's listening, hope you've enjoyed the show and keep listening to the Y2 podcast because it will be the biggest (laughs) one in in the world soon. Watch the space. (laughs) It'll happen. Thanks, mate. Nice. Hi, everyone, and thank you again for joining me for today's chat. Please make sure you jump on Facebook to quickly like and share this podcast episode 
If you're not already following me, please take another quick minute to hit that like button so you can stay up to date with all new podcast episodes, exciting announcements, and other things going on. You can find me on Facebook at Project Y2, that's at Project Y and the number two, and you can also follow me on LinkedIn if you're there. Don't forget to share and rate this on wherever you find your podcast episodes, and I look forward to having you join me again for our next Y2 podcast.